0: It is the ninth episode of Crumpy Old Coders, and uh, today we are talking a little bit about coding with Kotlin, right? Um, yeah, it's it's the first time that we are doing stuff like this, right? So, a kind of experiment. Uh, let's see how good this works, right? How well this works to, to just talk about code, right? Without <laughs> actually seeing it. Uh, <laughs> I have with me Thomas,
1: right? Hello. Uh, yeah, I mean uh, if this works we are breaking new ground. You know. This this yeah. Learning to code via via audio. I think this is the future. Let's see how it goes.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Voice recognition in the background. Uh, which is <laughs> <laughs> All the code we constructed before your eyes. Oh my God, I can see Which it. is now writing a tool automatically. I, I think we had one episode where we discussed this already. But uh, uh, anyway, right. Exactly. But before we start, uh, in preparation to this year, right, we just opened GitHub. And I was totally shocked that GitHub is dark, right? Yes. It's not, uh, it's not light anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why this is, right? I'm, I'm not aware that this was the case yesterday, but maybe I just missed it. Right? No, I think uh-huh.
1: this is uh, because we are recording in the evening. So the sun has already set at time of recording. And I can imagine that GitHub automatically switches the theme based on the system time. So that is my guess, because I'm pretty sure during the day GitHub is white and it turns to the dark theme. Yeah.
0: I us see tomorrow, right? We will know tomorrow morning. I we will know tomorrow morning, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my my thesis is that the new owner of GitHub, uh, so it means new, right? The owner of GitHub, uh, uh, known as Microsoft, right? Uh, is just aligning it more with Visual Studio Code and the default theme of Visual Studio Code is just dark, right? Ac- actually, it reminds me a lot, uh, right, at... Uh, yeah. It, visual studio code now it right?
1: looks exactly yeah. like visual studio code yeah absolutely
0: it's actually the fonts and everything right it's it's actually quite <laughs> interesting so yeah but maybe there's a very tight integration with this in the future i think there was even this kind of our. Uh, IDE as a service planned by by Microsoft, right, in the context of GitHub, so where everything is basically yes. running in the browser, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they renamed it a few times. I think it it was called Visual
1: Studio Online at some point, but that was repeated to another Visual Studio Online project from years ago, but I think it's renamed again. But yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, but. Okay, so that we kind of um, compensated the first shock about this uh, (laughs) dark theme. It's actually not not bad, right? It's looking actually nice, but now we we basically have a little bit... uh, it's a broken a broken experience by switching between some nodes and uh, and github because it's switching between light and dark, light I was, and dark yeah i was right. about to
1: say that when i switch back to the to the google doc where we have the script in then it's going to burn my eyes out so right, exactly yeah, I exactly be which
0: interesting. Is, i'm not sure if microsoft thought about this microsoft yeah, really, really. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah <laughs> not everything is dark nowadays there are still bright things in life right <laughs> anyway um so okay what? yeah that's uh, let's see uh, so the idea is that um yeah we talk a bit about kotlin i think we touched it already during one of our uh, episodes yeah. so, so what is it yeah, let's repeat a bit what we said, right? So, um, or let's repeat what is written in the documentation. I'm far away from being a Kotlin expert, but I I played a bit around with it. Right? Compared and to me, are, you are, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, That's not hard. I, I think we would just have a vital discussion about uh, Kotlin by looking at two examples, uh, which I wrote, right? Um, so, meaning, what is Kotlin? It's a modern programming language that makes developers happier, right? This is on their how, website. Right. So, how do you measure happiness? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is uh, a good question, JetBrains. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what makes you to happier? The where's the data? Come marketing. on, where's the data? <laughs> the jet brains marketing division exactly. right exactly uh, so, how do yeah. you how do you do the data-driven decision if i'm yeah. happy or not right <laughs> I as used soon to as be you find happy. out let me know right? yeah so. <laughs> i used to be
1: three happy now i'm four happy so yeah perfect <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh yeah yeah. Anyway. okay fine i guess there are other things in my life that make me more happy than uh exactly programming languages but yeah there is Kotlin, that yeah <laughs> maybe right yeah for sure right so uh just in case that my wife and my kids are listening right <laughs> yeah, just, just <laughs> <laughs> yes it's not all about work right exactly exactly um so yeah as mentioned or it's driven by jet brains now are your listeners you most of you might know jet brains intellij right yeah yeah exactly intellij pycharm whatever right I'm actually a happy customer of them because I like their IDEs. Uh, I guess IDEs are a little bit, uh, I'm not sure if this is true, if they are out again, right? But uh, there was a time when, when people, when it was kind of, popular to just use BI and uh, a compiler, right? Then uh, with Java, you needed to have uh, IDEs, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. stuff like that, or usually people use them, uh, then I would say with .NET as well, Visual Studio and so on, right? Um, And uh, nowadays, right? uh, It's often the case that people are just using Visual Studio code, which is strictly seen not really an IDE um or you can argue that it is maybe right it's more an editor with some plugins to, that provide yeah yeah development functionality, like functionality. I, I guess you can go far so far and say this is an IDE <laughs> at the end right so that's what an, <laughs> an id a... is right
1: text plus some um additional functionality yeah yeah, yeah.
0: exactly exactly but i think it's more lightweight right so it's kind of a i would see it more like an editor with some with some additional bonus stuff right but um. yeah
1: it's definitely more lightweight than the full visual studio which once you've installed it on your windows then windows is now a visual studio windows you never get rid of all the parts again it installs about sort of 30 or 40 packages, something like that, and you never get rid of it again. So it's definitely more lightweight than that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, JetBrains kind of, um, an argument could be that JetBrains actually bundles, they have the same platform for all this stuff, right? So, IntelliJ right. or PyCharm, whatever, is all based on the same platform, I would say. But um, they, they bundle it specifically for specific languages in order to make the life of the developer a little bit uh, sense, easier, yeah. uh, let's say, right? And I guess uh, with um, yeah with Visual Studio Code you could do the same, but it's kind of handcrafted by yourself, right? Um, so you yeah, need to I mean, cu- you customize you, it by you, yourself. Yeah,
1: you you can turn it into a Python IDE by just installing a handful of plugins, if if not just one. I mean, there are aggregation plugins as well. So yeah, so I wonder if they ever go down the way of having sort of dedicated distributions. Because the, the extension and plugin installation system is just so simple. It takes like two clicks yeah. to turn it into a Python IDE, IDE. So they may not need to do that.
0: York. yeah yeah true i i mean so jetbrain sorry about that right i mean we we started to promote your uh uh, uh your your new language kotlin or what I means new the this modern language uh, because i like it uh, and now we are talking about competitive uh, ide products so <laughs> yeah <well. laughs> this, this is how, this is how it goes but uh, anyway right there are multiple IDEs, or uh, developers are usually quite picky they use whatever they think is the best tool for them or um, and i personally like the the jetbrain stuff as well the IDEs. but i yeah. i have to say for for some some simple javascript coding um, and python coding i'm just using visual studio code right now right and then for um let's say java stuff i would use intellij yeah
1: makes sense uh-huh. i'd probably go <clears> the same route I mean, you have to be picky. You use it like eight hours a day, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not coding full-time anymore. Yeah, too yeah. Often, you're you're
1: right? past that. Yeah.
0: I'm, yeah. Still <laughs> I'm still coding. <laughs> I'm still a
1: developer. But I enjoy, I enjoy coding, coding still,
0: right? I mean, I would all still call me kind of a developer, right? But At heart. <laughs>
1: a developer at yeah. heart. <laughs>
0: At heart, right? Well, that too Crumpy cool. old yeah, cod. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing stops us from being grumpy. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Um, okay. Yeah. So, meaning the the cool thing about Kotlin is the, actually that uh, besides of the language, and it's much slimmer than something like Java uh, whereby it's maybe not hard to be more lightweight than Java right um, uh, let's say the cool thing about it is that it is built to be um, let's say cross platform right so you have Kotlin Js uh, you have Kotlin native uh, you have Kotlin JVM. And you can share some code, not maybe maybe not all the code, but you can basically share some code across the stack right And ah. um, um, where it is actually quite popular right uh, right now is uh, for Android development, uh, meaning um, let me phrase it as written in the developer uh, documentation of Android, right Developer.android.com. Uh, right better android apps faster with kotlin kotlin is a modern statically typed programming language used by over 60 percent of professional android developers that helps boost productivity developer satisfi- satisfaction and code safety right really um so does that mean
1: 60 percent of Android is written in Kotlin of Android apps. Is that right? This is
0: what the developer documentation at Android.com is saying, let's say, right? So they took over uh, Java in the sense, right? Wow, that's amazing. In the past, uh, it was more written in Java, let's say. Wow. Wow, that that is absolutely astonishing. Yeah,
1: I had no idea how popular this is. Awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems uh, to be a thing, at least, right? At least for mobile development on Android.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, 60%, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah that's it. Okay. Um,
0: any, anyway, uh, by the way, I, I think uh, JetBrains, sorry to say this, right? But uh, the statement which they had on the Android.com website was uh, much better than yours, right? Like a modern programming language that makes developers happier, right? It's, it's a, <laughs> Is a little bit weaker than what they have written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where the data
1: comes in, right? So that's kind of my, you know, 60%. That's a data point, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's more more focusing. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, too much a marketing person, but it focusing, focuses more on the target audience, right? Developers, right? Because if a developer is reading, hey, it makes me happier. Or, yeah, what does this mean, right? Uh, do I get a free coffee when when coding with it or whatever? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, that's uh. awesome. I
1: can't wait to to sort of see how this works. I can see the allure. So so presumably Kotlin JS is something you would maybe use in the browser if it goes down that way. If it's is it just for Android? Is it for the browser? So, so but I I suppose we will get to that in a minute, right? So so why did I mean, you choose Kotlin then?
0: Yeah, my my stuff was more like, uh, first of all, I I thought, hey, or I I want to learn a new programming language, just right, and uh, I had uh, one project to to do, uh, with very little one, more for academical reasons, and I thought, hey, or, let's see which modern languages are out there, right? It was a while ago when I touched some of them. I mean, I'm doing a lot of in Python nowadays, right? Or I'm always falling back sometimes to Java because I like Java, but uh, uh, it's a it's a uh, <laughs> 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 yeah I, I like Java because I'm used to it. Let's say right. It's, that, uh, <laughs> that's
1: fine. No, that's totally fair. We we like what yeah. we used to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No
0: objections. But uh, but uh, yeah, so I thought, why not exploring something which is um, yeah a good alternative maybe? And uh, indeed, I could have used Rust or whatever, right? But uh, designed for Kotlin. Um, I also did take a look at GoLang a while ago, but uh, let's say Kotlin was the new thing which I wanted to to you touch also, a bit, right? Yeah. And um, I actually liked how the source code or or So the code in general, right, looking at some examples, was looking like, right, and I thought, hey, uh, this is not too far away from something like... uh, let's say from the syntax from something like python javascript whatever right it's easy to read easy to understand right it's uh not as uh, chatty as java uh, let's say and uh, yeah so i decided to use this for a more academical project uh, Got you. so okay. so the idea was basically to to explain concepts via code right i'm, I'm not sure if this makes totally sense but instead of writing something like a, a very complex article about explaining all the concepts or uh, I just decided yeah let's write some classes right uh, and have a naive implementation of uh, of uh, of yeah. that right by then writing an addition or uh, a blog article which is explaining uh, the different or documenting the different classes by by explaining the functionality right got so you so
1: pseudocode but a diff but pseudocode that actually works yeah
0: Yeah, exactly. So so some code examples that are kind of uh, visualizing um, concepts, right? So because the audience was a technical audience, and I I thought instead of just describing it in words, um, I I just described it with code, which is, uh, um, yeah, well readable. I'm not sure if I achieved this at the end, but uh, I I would say the, uh, the stuff is very kind of, yeah, uh, naive in a in a sense right but it it explains the concept and so on so don't use this code in production <laughs> it's really just uh, <laughs> just for educational purposes but uh kind of made sense and i uh, had fun writing some some kotlin code and learning some stuff um, um on the way right uh, let's see sounds good uh, as a side product. So meaning I did this twice, uh, the uh, first concept which I kind of explained by, by using um, some code here was with Kotlin was basically an event loop, um, so the idea was to explain people a bit uh, what is actually an event loop and how does it work, right? And uh, the other concept was uh, uh, an R tree, so a region tree, right? So the idea was uh, to to explain people how region trees are working. I, I mean, maybe a diagram would have done as well, but uh, I thought, why why not? <laughs> Much less why free. not explaining this a bit in in code, right? Um, so. Um, the first one is basically our K event lib. Um, K event lib is uh, available under my GitHub account, which is called our uh, NoSQL geek, right? Um, so the, the frequent listeners might know that this is my alias. Uh, so if you go to github.com nosqlgeek geek, uh, uh, slash k eventlib uh, you will find this uh, source code repo right um so yeah. first of all and sorry
1: we 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 should put this in the show notes as well
0: yeah let's, yeah let's do this do oh, we have show true. notes I think we do yeah we don't have really we have a description but we can put it into the description <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do uh, it. and then the second one is called kr Tree, right so the k because I in the past I had this kind of tendency to to start every project which was a java project with a, the with a, j. Uh, yeah. j right and now this is kotlin and so I said hey why not calling this K whatever right so uh, kr tree uh, again is uh, is implementing a data structure which is commonly used in databases uh, here in this case we are not storing it it's just uh, in memory but uh, it kind of provides you uh, uh, a a basic region tree functionality for something like geospatial queries, bounding box queries, or distance queries, stuff like this, right? So multidimensional uh, spatial queries and especially bounding box queries, right? So kind okay find basically points that are within specific. By the we can talk later about it. So let's start with the uh, event loop. Uh, and again, let's see how this actually works. So Thomas is now opening the source code as well. Yes, right? and, I'm on GitHub.
1: Um, That's very dark.
0: You're on GitHub, exactly. Uh, there is some documentation around it, uh, but I'm jumping right into the code. Um, so if you go to the... Uh, uh, k folder, so source org no sql k event lib, right? Um, so there's still so.
1: this deep folder stuff that Java introduces, so that's still there. Yeah, there, right? are, there are still packages,
0: yeah, okay. exactly, yeah, so packages i think in .net okay. your .net yeah, guy, no, right you uh, this would be a namespace or whatever no um, negative association so are, I'm they're, just they're are still it. packages and the packages uh here in this case uh, .org, music yeah. no geek right um, so basically one of the domains here and then there there is the the actual uh, folder um, which is or the, the sub part of the package which is referring to this library uh, let's say mm-hmm. okay so now um in this uh, in this package we, we actually have um first of all um a bunch of kotlin files um then yeah, we have yeah uh, first of all maybe interesting to explain this um there is a difference between a, a kotlin script right and a, sk- a kotlin class so you can use kotlin for object oriented programming you can use kotlin for uh, just scripting purposes, if you want, right? Um, okay. So you don't need to use objects, uh, indeed. And and you can also do functional programming, whereby I, I'm not focusing too much on functional programming here, right? So, I mean, it has all the nice stuff like uh, passing functions over as parameters, uh, right? Uh, using lang- Lambda expressions and okay. so on. So but I'm not heavily using this here.
1: Okay. So, so, do you mean there are different file types or for, for a script or for a class or, or is yeah, yeah, you can basically. Really? B- okay.
0: So in the IDE, so I'm using basically also our IntelliJ for developing it, uh, usually they, you can say if you would like to have a Kotlin class or if you would like to have a, a Kotlin script. So if you open, for instance, the tests.kt file, right, tests. then you will see that tests.kt uh, file. Um, you will see that uh, what I'm basically doing here is I'm I'm just saying, hey, this is in this or that package. And then I'm importing uh, something which is included already. So I don't need to use, uh, let's say, an external framework for testing for assertions and so on, right? Right, Uh, so this is a
1: unit test file, right? And you're bringing in this uh, kotlin.test.assert true
0: Exactly. Which is the exactly
1: assertion yeah. thing. Okay, right. I see. So I could
0: also use more than just a so true here. In this case, I just used a so true, right? And uh, yeah. what I'm basically doing is I'm, I'm then having several functions. Uh, so a function is uh, started with a fun, uh, F-U-N. Um. Uh, uh, yeah. Word. Uh, keyword. And then followed by the function name. Um, and then in brackets the parameters. And then you use curly brackets for the body. Right. Okay. So meaning meaning this is. Looks very familiar for yeah, people. this sort is
1: of the C family of languages. They all have that, so I'm immediately seeing on line eighteen I see this event queue thing, but i I don't see an import. I don't see where that event queue is coming from, and that immediately as a as a sort of JavaScript guy where everything has to be imported, that immediately makes me nervous. So where's that event queue thing?
0: The event queue is uh, in the same package. Everything which is in the same package can be used out of... Oh,
1: apps, yeah. Java. And I think C Sharp does that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It doesn't all coming need back to be to imported, right? Exactly. Yeah. To, right. I've, I've been doing JavaScript for, I think, four years now, or something exclusively. So I, I forget how the other languages work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's in the fine. same package so, it, or the na- same namespace. Probably, this is what a C# sharp developer would say. The same name. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Here
0: is a Java developer would say package. Package. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Uh, cool.
1: So that's the event queue. Okay.
0: Exactly. So meaning the the event loop or event queue stuff. Uh, so yeah, this is Sorry, probably can, the the entry point. Uh, so let's uh, yeah, can, to, can, go can to I it. Yeah. Can I quickly
1: ask another one? So I, I'm yeah. missing the word new. So is this event queue, is, is is this newed up? Is there a new instance created? So I'm just seeing that a variable is assigned to yeah, event yeah, queue Yeah, uh, this is basically or, or is uh, event queue implicit.
0: There is no new uh, keyword for creating a new instance. Uh, so meaning whenever you call the constructor, it is kind of implied that, uh, okay. uh, that you are creating a new instance. So, so the word meaning. new
1: doesn't exist. So it's, okay, got you. Okay
0: you know it, it's slimmer than java right so and i actually like this right because i i mean if i if i use the class with a uh, with follow the class name followed by uh, let's say some arguments it's kind of obvious that this is the constructor let's say right so there's yeah. no need to to say hey this is a uh, this is new. And um, yeah, so I actually like this, right? Yeah, there no, might be it's... also other reasons why they are doing this, uh, right? Uh, yeah. but no, at f- the end... Fair
1: enough. I mean, the reasons, sorry slight tense. So, so the reason in other languages like JavaScript is is sort of a scoping issue. So it's to distinguish between a function call, and which has sort of that internal function scope, And when you do a new, you create an instance which has a different kind of scope, right? So underneath both are functions, but it's just what kind of scope is created. That's why the exactly, distinction but, in JavaScript. But, yeah,
0: but I was going to say, right, at the end, um, a constructor is also a function, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, So it's, uh, it, it's, more, it's kind of semantics of it, right? Uh, let's say, so because uh, you, you're calling a function, which is crea- returning you an instance if, mm. you, if you call a constructor, right? And if you see it like that... Um, maybe there is no need to, to kind of differentiate between, um, let's say, new or not new, let's say, right, as a as a keyword.
1: Yeah, fair, yeah I, I'm fair enough. I'm okay with that.
0: Um, okay, yeah. So meaning what we're doing here in the first step is we are saying, hey, we would like to have an event queue um, of uh, 1,000, right? So 1,000 was a while ago when I did this is uh, let's jump to the event queue class right is the size <laughs> as we could have uh guessed right Makes sense. so the the first thing uh, what you see here is um, that uh, if we look at it we we see, hey um, we have a class event queue, right which has one parameter size and um, actually the constructor is in the in the kind of um, yeah, how to say um signature of the of the class definition right so it's not uh, necessary like right. in Java to have a, to have a specific uh, function which is your constructor right if your constructor doesn't have any specific logic but it's just setting properties right but, but what if some, your
1: constructor has some logic some init logic
0: then you can then you can basically or have a dedicated constructor or oh I see so this can, is a
1: shorthand just okay
0: yeah it's a shorthand or you can I think there's also the uh, the construct of an init function yeah, yeah makes sense. This somewhere right cool um so so i'll follows. be
1: looking at the event queue file now yeah we look the at the event queue.kt
0: dot kt file gotcha, exactly. okay. so and this starts with something after the imports and so on it starts with something like a uh, class event queue yeah well size colon int right um so Fair Which enough. basically tells you that uh, there is a, a kind of immutable, uh, let's say immutable uh, argument or property, right? So it's read only. Ah. this is what the val means, right? Because uh, it's a value uh, of the right. type of the type integer, right? As an as an argument. So so as soon as you basically put this in, uh, you are not allowed to change it anymore, right?
1: Got or you. So, it, so it's so it's val and it's var and val being const. And var being probably a variable, right?
0: Exactly. If you would use a var, you, you would be able to reassign it, right? Uh, let's say. So you can, you can deal with something which is a value. Uh, for instance, if your value is, a, is having the type uh, of a collection, right? You can yeah. indeed append stuff to this collection or list or whatever, right? But um, um, you cannot reassign it. So this is, the, this is the difference, right? Right.
1: So it's a const, basically. Yeah, it's a constant, yeah. It's okay. basically a constant. Uh, exactly. Okay, cool. That makes sense.
0: Okay, um so we basically put or uh, put something like a, a size in, right, for for our queue, uh, and then um what I'm doing here is uh I'm actually assigning some some or allocating some memory for the queue, right? Um and what I'm doing is I'm using something like a very short syntax here, uh, which is also built into Kotlin, which is array of nulls, right? It's very uh, so readable. Many. I like it. So we have a, we have an internal array uh, which is initialized uh, being being empty, but uh, it allocates basically uh, the uh, the, uh, uh, the memory, let's say, right? And uh, what you do is basically use say array of nulls of a generic, uh, which is event, right? With the initial size, So which means our event queue has internally um, an inner queue, right? Say, which is uh, implemented as an array, right?
1: I see, and the event is the item type. So I get an array of event from this.
0: Exactly. This is an array of event, right? and, and Whereby, the type of uh,
1: Q is sort of automatically deduced from the return type of the array of nulls, right? The type of Q. The type of mean? Q. So, so you're not specifically saying what Q is, what type Q is. So the type ah, must yeah, be yeah, inferred. Yeah, yeah. Infer-
0: right? yeah, exactly. This is inferred automa- automatically, which is really cool because it's not uh, dynamically typed or whatever, right? So it's 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 still statically typed, uh, yeah. right? But uh, it, it is able to to basically uh, infer the type uh, automatically, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If you assign the variable, so if you uh, basically say, hey, this is an array of uh, events, right, Uh, of a specific length or size, then um, it will basically now assign this type uh, to this variable or here in this case, value, right? Uh, by by not allowing you to reassign it to something else later then, right? Yeah. It's not like in JavaScript, although it's not totally dynamically uh, yeah. typed, but uh, the uh, the syntax is much uh, nicer, right? So you right. don't need to basically uh, write the type twice.
1: Got uh, you. Uh, yeah, I think C Sharp has a concept of this and, and TypeScript has type inference as well like this. That's pretty cool though.
0: Yeah. So what I'm also having is uh, I'm synchronizing the access a little bit by using a mutex, uh, right? Um, so uh, a lock on it, a mutual exclusive lock, and then I I have a push pointer and a pull pointer, right? So pushing something to it, pulling ah, right. it uh, off, right? Uh, from my uh, from my my queue, and then uh, what you can, what, I, what I can do is basically. Uh, um, I can pass over to mutex with lock. Uh, let's say an anonymous uh, uh, implementation, right? Uh, which I'm doing when I'm doing the, the push, as you can see, right? Mutex with lock, and then now, what what is going to happen uh, when? Uh, when this lock is basically gotcha. uh, okay. acquired, right, and then, um, yeah, interesting here as well is for the push, for instance, um, I'm returning an error event, right, and um, and there is somewhere else also, uh, if you look at pop, right, um, so there is basically an empty event returned, right, so which means I'm I'm having um, two specific events. Um, yeah. So if you look at the uh, event uh, class, right? So let's go to the event class. All right, hang on. uh, Hang on, hang on, hang on. The event class. Oops.
1: Yeah, yeah, go on. I'm opening it.
0: So the event Kotlin class, right? Um, First of all, um, enums are supported the same way as in Java. So you basically say enum class event type, uh, let's say, right? And then I have empty error, get set, and I.O., right? Because those are the events I would like to to handle, right? uh, Empty events, error events, get events, set events, and I.O. events. Okay. It's just an enumeration, okay. exactly. And then the, the next thing is, um, actually I have multiple classes within this file, right? So it's, uh, I have not just one there uh, because I, I would like to to basically um, yeah specialize some some uh, specific classes in alignment to this enum, uh, which means that uh, what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, there is an open class event, right? And this open class event has some, uh, let's say, um, basic parameters, like when did the event happen, which type does the event have, right? Which data is associated to the event, So, which is mm-hmm. a here? array here. Um, is the event already processed? Uh, and there you can see something interesting, right? Default. Within the constructor, you can set a default value, yeah. right? So the process is a Boolean set to, to false, so... right?
1: What does open mean? <coughs> what what is an open? This is this clause? is
0: this is actually quite interesting. Um, so in Kotlin, right, inheritance is uh, by default, uh, let's say, uh, not it's possible but it's not the default right so if you do a class you can't inherit it right ah so it's it's a a java developer it's a final final. yeah okay it's a final class by definition let's say or by default by default and in order to make it uh, inheritable you you need to mark it as open right so it's um, the
1: other way around in c-sharp and java where you need to mark it when it's closed or in c-sharp sealed Okay.
0: Exactly, sealed yeah, or final. Uh, exactly, but here in in um, in in Kotlin, you need to make it more open. And there is a little bit, uh, I don't know, right? There's a controversial discussion, uh, let's say, happening in the entire um, development world around uh, how heavily you should use inheritance, right? Uh, yeah. Let's say. Uh, We're going
1: away from uh, that, aren't we? Exactly. So the trend is
0: more to go mm. away from it. Uh, composition over over inheritance. Yeah. To be very fair or honest, um, I, I'm not yet sure what I should think about it. I, I understand that there are reasons, right, like performance and whatever, right? Um, but uh, maybe if there are other reasons. Uh, listeners might might tell us, uh, or maybe you have an opinion about this as well. But um, <laughs> Um, I I mean, how I saw object-oriented programming actually in the past is that uh, I did something like an object-oriented analysis, right? And something like inheritance was not something which is... uh, which is just an implementation detail, right? It's also a design detail in a, yeah. in a sense, right? Uh, so when whenever I did this analysis, I, I kind of had generalization and specialization uh, already on paper in my diagram, right? So it was not just a decision if I, if I do this as a composition composition or not. Uh, it was basically, I just used inheritance if inheritance was basically what I had on paper in my diagram, right? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's like with all things, you, you can you can misuse everything. I've worked on a code base that had very, very, that had a lot of inheritance, a long, long chain. Not all of the inheritance made sense. You, you know, the, the, the particular method or function that you were looking for could be in any of 10 files. You know, in any of the inheritance chain. So I've I've seen inheritance done wrong, and if it's done wrong, it's it's quite horrible actually. So I tend to be very judgmental. So I I tend to only use inheritance when it really makes sense. Yeah. I, makes I think sense. most would agree makes. with me. I imagine makes sense.
0: But uh, I mean, you would basically if you have a project which is a bit bigger, you would uh, kind of yeah design a. Design it up front, right? And in the yeah. sense, you would find out by doing the object-oriented analysis, hey, uh, which kind of object type is uh, or entity type is a specialization of another one, and mm-hmm. so on, right? And uh, and and the direct implementation would would follow this, right? I, I guess. Uh, yeah you you could then later decide for whatever reason right performance uh, and so on right Uh, not to do it uh, because it's maybe too heavy but uh, um, i guess the object-oriented analysis kind of leads to inheritance uh, in in some cases right
1: yeah i suppose it does i mean in, in fairness you can probably solve many problems by composition that you can also solve by inheritance I I think the problem is sort of transferable and I would say personally if the inheritance chain is probably longer than three steps then it starts to get hard to work with it but that's just my opinion
0: yeah yeah yeah, true true Anyway, what I did here is basically I said, OK, fine, there is an open class event, yeah. and my open class event um, is basically just having this uh, uh, default constructor, right? So it's looking very slim, uh, in a sense. Yeah, it's really cool. And then and then I have uh, another class which is uh, basically an empty event which has a default constructor which doesn't have any arguments, right? Um, and uh, you can see when I define this, or uh, then followed by colon, right? I, I'm then calling the the default constructor of the parent class, right? In more or less one line of code, right? By by just uh, uh, giving my giving my my parameters over for this empty event. So an empty event, there for instance, go. doesn't have a time, right? So which means I'm defaulting to minus one for the timestamp. Uh, it has the event type empty uh it has uh, uh, here in this case an, a byte array of the length uh, zero. I mean maybe mm. we could have done this better but anyway and uh, it is by definition uh, processed, uh, let's say, right? And now the question is a little bit why why do it use empty events or arrow events? I mean the error event was kind of uh, I thought it was cool if you do event driven stuff to inject the error also as an event in order to be able to deal with it the same way as with the data uh, which is coming, right? for processing stuff more streamlined and so on, right? So this was more uh, a kind of implementation decision. But the empty event uh, is, is something which kind of kotlin forced me a bit to do it let's say right Uh, because uh, let's say kotlin doesn't like null values or let's say you can have nullable types but they Ah. are basically you need to explicitly say that this type is a nullable type right Uh, by default uh, types are not nullable in order to avoid uh, stuff which you sometimes do in java right where you kind of say hey yeah okay fine i'm initializing this with null um, right and then uh, later sometimes later i i maybe run in a null pointer um, exception because mm-hmm. I, I never really assigned it or whatever right so so in order to avoid this uh, to have more cleaner code to think about or uh, uh, how to initialize values, use kotlin is kind of um, yeah telling you, hey, types are, in by default, if you just declare them how I did, right, uh, not nullable. If you want to have them nullable, you need to explicitly say that they are nullable, let's say. Right?
1: Interesting, because TypeScript started out with having stuff nullable, having class or ob- object instances nullable, and then they changed that. So now, you, now it's like Kotlin. Now you have to explicitly say this variable can also be null. Right. And and if it isn't null and you don't initialize it in a constructor, you immediately get a squiggle saying, Hey, you know, this type it could this variable could be null. So we're not allowing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very And good. they are
0: actually not, They, they are. You, you can't assign, uh, let's say there are two different types behind the scenes by the type system, right? Which means if you have uh, a variable which is an event and you have, um, on the other hand side, a nullable event, uh, let's say, right? Uh, Define it, I think the question mark is the, is the symbol which you're using, right? So um, then you can't assign, uh, let's say, um, a nullable uh, value to a non-nullable <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. variable, right? So meaning, uh, and and because I thought about it and thought, okay, hey, yeah, but this is really kind of a bit restrictive. Uh, sometimes I just want to return null, and then I, I continued to think about it and, and said, okay, fine, but why actually, right? Maybe a default value, which is uh, in identifying that I'm having uh, an empty event is better than a null Right uh, as the return value, so I I got kind of convinced by saying yeah I'm not going with this nullable type here right. Um, what I'm doing instead is I'm saying hey uh, actually t- an empty event is also a statement about an event uh, let's say right. So which oh. means uh, what I said is I I def- defined an empty event uh, yeah, instead okay. of uh, of uh, having null right. It's a bit more overhead. It's a bit more no. chatty in a in a sense, but uh, I, I kind of buy into it that it's a bit cleaner than returning null because uh, um, then I would need to deal with null values, right? And I would uh, maybe mm. run into null pointer exceptions and so no. on, right? I, I think I, it's yeah, totally permissible. Yeah, whereby now with an empty event, right? I'm actually able to to just check the type and say, okay, this is an empty event, and so I'm I'm handling it more explicitly, let's say, right, mm. um, instead of just uh, uh, risking to to run into um, exceptions. Well, let's say, right. I think this is the. I'm not sure what if this was the initial purpose, but it this was at, at least what I kind of. From it uh, as being forced.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. as as, as I say, I think it's legitimate. Makes sense. It's a design
0: choice on your part. Yeah, exactly. So, and and it makes my life a bit uh, easier. I don't need to deal with those kind of nullable versus non-nullable stuff. uh, Let's say right. Uh, uh, but uh, again, it's a bit forced, but it makes the code also a bit cleaner because now you can basically have explicit checks for, for something like default values, right? Which which kind of is more expressive in the code than, than just uh, looking for, for null, right? Because there could be multiple reasons why something is null, uh, let's That's say. Right. It, uh, maybe just not initialized. Uh, so if you have a default value, you know it's not uh, a different value by intention, let's say, right? Which is better than null. Uh, I would say. Anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, then there's an error event. There's a simple event. Uh, A simple event uh, is also not having a time, right? So it defaults to minus one here uh, in this case. And then there's the timed event. uh, And uh, a timed event has uh, actually, uh, as the time, the deferred milliseconds, right? So it is deferred to the future uh, in a a sense, right? Uh, Let's see. Um, wait a minute and are we
1: still in the event thing or plus default yeah we are still
0: in the event class right oh uh, I exactly.
1: see so after those milliseconds you can process that event is that how it works? yeah
0: exactly you should uh, yeah I, I will talk a little bit about the event uh, okay, of, cool. uh, queue uh, in, a, in a second so if you go to the event queue uh, back right yep. then maybe you should uh, hurry a bit up Right, because it takes longer than I anticipate <laughs> to talk about it. Um, yeah, so so meaning what you basically are can can do in the uh, event queue is you can push events, you can pop events, uh, right, um, and then um, you will also process events uh, in a sense, right? Um, let me see how this uh there's my i ah, okay okay yeah um so basically this is the event queue event queue is only um, one structure which is used right uh, there is in addition to uh, to that there is event buffer the processing happens and actually in the event loop right so what we have is in addition we have an event buffer right so should um, i go to that file yeah yeah, yeah, go event to the event buffer. buffer. Okay. So and as the documentation is saying, the difference between a buffer and the queue is that the buffer is not accessed via the Fivo pattern, but every event has a dedicated timestamp which is indicating when it should right. be executed. So which means in a in an event loop, right? Um, so this is the idea. And this is also kind of similar to how Node.js is doing it, right? Or mm-hmm. Redis or whatever you you kind of have uh, events that are not timed right uh, so events that are not timed they are just executed uh, step by step one by one right uh, and for this purpose you're using uh, a FIFO or or queue, let's say, right? But uh, you can also have events that need to be processed in the future, let's say, right? Or that you don't want to process right now. Um, You might have wondered why Node.js is kind of allowing you to do asynchronous operation execution and so on, right? Um, So you can defer events, uh, let's say, uh, to the future, right? And for this purpose, what I'm doing here is I'm buffering those events, uh, right? Um, So meaning each such an event uh, within my event buffer is having a timestamp, right? And they are ordered within the buffer by timestamp, right? Okay. Uh, because the timestamp is now relevant. So it's not just FIVO. It's basically another structure, right? Which is buffering all the events that need to be executed in the future. So and now what I'm... I don't see
1: the yeah. ordering. So um, I'm in the add function. The order is
0: kind of the order is kind of in, implicit via the time, right? An event uh, has a timestamp, and uh, whenever yeah. the event basically is added to the buffer, it's uh, kind of uh, yeah. Uh, we can find the minimum or maximum event or uh, by, by looking at the timestamp. Uh, let me see here.
1: Okay, so, so you're adding it to the buffer, but but you're not ordering it then. You're just adding it sort of as the yeah, next I element think, to the buffer. Yeah, uh, I think
0: this is something which I could optimize, actually. Right? No, I'm just trying to understand it. I'm <laughs> not critiquing buffer, it or anything. Okay, event so
1: find pointer. next. Ah, when you find next then you find the first one that isn't processed. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, exactly,
0: yeah. so basically what we find next is doing it, uh, right? So find next is yeah. uh, is kind of iterating over it by finding the one uh, which is not processed, which is having the minimum time. Yeah. Right? there, there so, is an
1: algorithm called a priority queue where you can do this in O of log n. So this is yeah. O of n, right? This, yeah, yeah, this is uh, very that.
0: suboptimal. But uh, again, was more to visualize the concept. Oh, fair enough. I should have now. done this <laughs> better. <I guess. laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, I, I, uh, really. Uh, so there, I could have some, used something like, in Redis, for instance, a solid set, right? Uh, by having then O of log N or a tree structure, right, whereby. My my tree structure, um, or maybe Kotlin has already something like this, or this priority queue, right? Any mm-hmm. anyway, so um, here in this case, I'm just going over it linearly, so it is O of n, as you said, right? By by finding the one which is uh, having the 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 minimum uh, timestamp, right? Uh, or finding the first one which is basically uh, fulfilling this criteria, right? Yeah um yeah the way how it works is basically you you look for processed events that are expired right or expired in a sense where the time is already due for for execution let's say right so you you buffer you buffer the events and uh, in one of the event loop cycles you basically say hey okay fine i'm i'm now going to um i'm now going to um, execute events that were deferred to the future. It's not exactly at this time, which was given, right, in the event uh, when you created it. It was basically, it just means that you execute it in one of the next cycles um, if it already, uh, uh, yeah, if it is already due, let's yeah. Makes sense? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, meaning I I have two structures, the event buffer and the event queue for this purpose. And uh, then it all is glued together by using the event uh, loop, right? Uh, So, Mm. I'm initializing the queue. Um, So, the event loop has basically uh, an event queue and an event buffer, right? And um, the event loop, because an event loop usually is single-threaded, has a single worker thread, right? Um, so um, you can see this here as well. There's a single worker uh, thread. And what the event loop allows you is to basically submit an event, right? Um, yeah. And if it is a timed event, then uh, it will be added to the event buffer. If it is a non-timed event, right? Um, which means we can check the type or in your case, in this case here non-timed event has a timestamp which is minus one uh, let's say yeah um then we we just basically add it to the queue right and then what we do is uh we process in within the loop uh let's say right uh, the loop is very simple as code it's basically uh, just uh a function called loop, which is executing a while function, while true, uh, sorry, it's executing while true, um, and within while true we say process next, uh, let's say, right? and. Um, Process next gives you back the uh, the event which was processed next, uh, let's say, right? And only if the event queue is empty, we would, Also, my my implementation is doing it like this, right? Um, yeah, in this case, only if the event queue is empty, we would start processing, um, basically, the buffered events, right? Uh, so, meaning we would process the event queue until it's empty, and then we would start... Uh, emptying the buffer right and then uh, maybe something comes into the there's more as indicated here right we could use more yeah optimized uh, scheduling algorithms here right so for instance uh, from time to time uh, stop processing the queue and uh, focus on the buffer right so we could have some prioritization algorithms here for this uh, kind of testing and visualization purposes i just uh, said okay the queue is higher prioritized always uh, than the than the buffer right uh, yeah and uh processing it actually here in my case just means to print it right so i mean yeah could fair have, enough uh, you could have you could pass maybe what I could have done here for process by the way is uh, Kotlin allows you to to pass functions as arguments right so I could have said okay uh, process has a has a function right and then you uh, could have um, yeah pass over a function which is just uh, locking it right or Mm-hmm. you could have passed a functional one which does whatever with it right stores it somewhere away or i i don't know right sure whatever That's, um what, yeah. what i realized by myself is actually that um it seems i'm not by heart a functional programming guy right um so i could have done stuff like this iteration by, over collections uh, or um, yeah passing functions as arguments. I could have done this more more often, let's say, right? And Kotlin really supports it. And if you look at the documentation of Kotlin, uh, it even kind of encourages you uh, uh, to do so, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see.
1: Okay, no interest. Okay, so on, on the topic of functional programming, it's it's another thing that you can get wrong. So, you know, I've, I've seen code bases where one file had had sort of 20 functions and it, 20 small functions which would call each other, and it was basically impossible to follow the execution path. Yeah, it's so also that, hard that's to a debug. be tough. It's not for so. me, right? But uh, anyway, so on line 69, I'm, I'm fascinated by this return if, right? So return if, and it then returns that or the other, and I'm but it's blocks, so I'm wondering if you have multiple calls inside the if block you know it, instead of line 71 you have more in there right what's it returning then you know what i mean
0: i think it return. i mean i, I need to double check but i would say it returns the last one right the last line which is called here would right? make sense so, right but but yeah. it, which means the last one which you're basically calling here right it's a little bit like a like a shortcut, uh, like uh, also with some some other functional frameworks, right? Mm. Uh, where you basically can can have, um, yeah, I think RxJava is doing it something something similar. Well, I, I'm not right. remembering it all, at all. But I, I think what it is, is basically you can call a sequence of commands or um, some commands. And the last one is basically the implicit return. Let's say Makes
1: right. sense. Okay, that works for me. And semicolons are semicolons not allowed, or are they? Yeah, you don't low? don't
0: need to use semicolon, right? Ah, but you <laughs>
1: could if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I okay. actually it was a bit hard for me to to get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> get it out of my head, right? So that's, it, it's it's uh, it's
1: so ingrained to me to to end everything with a semicolon. i <laughs> would be hard uh, to change.
0: You don't need to use it, right? So you can yeah. just use line breaks uh, in order to. Which uh, is makes kind of sense, right? Yeah. So, meaning. Awesome.
1: I mean, I could see myself using this. I mean, I I found nothing in there that I massively dislike. You yeah, know, it's it's nice. We're just a starting point, right? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, we are running a bit out of time, right? So we are not doing the other one. I'm just talking quickly uh, about the other project um, okay. without having any benefit for the audience here, getting, uh, getting more <laughs> to know about Kotlin, let's say. Um, so the other one, as mentioned before, is uh, is an, a region tree. How region tree is, is basically working is that um a region can have uh, subregions right and each of the subregions can have subregions again and so on right mm. and uh the the whole idea is, is basically that uh you can you can more easily find points or uh, that are um, kind of laid out within those regions so the idea is uh, let's say um, you have, uh, let's say, maybe one one root region, and it's easy to see if there are points inside them, right? Then um, you can get all the points that are belong to this root region, right? Mm. But uh, this would be a bit suboptimal, right? So regarding the complexity, <laughs> if you have a lot of points, right? Uh, you just need if you sort of specific ones and within a specific area, right? You would need to iterate over all the points in order to find out uh, um, within which within which kind of box, bounding box, they are belonging, right? So what you do is um, you, a box, by the way, a bounding box is also a region, right? right. Um, so what you're doing is um, you, you're you kind of uh, building sub-regions uh, by grouping your points into those sub-regions. Again, sub-regions can contain sub-regions again. And as you can see, this kind of contains, uh, region contains r- region, right? is Is giving you a tree of regions, whereby in the leaves, yeah. you're then having the points uh let's say right uh makes um, sense yeah of such a so you can also they don't need to be strictly in the leaves let's say right so you can also have a parent region which directly contains points because there is no sub read it's actually also a leaf right it doesn't need to be a balanced tree right Uh, so this is the point the points are in the leaf nodes but uh, it doesn't need to be balanced uh, the tree right so which means um Which means that uh, you can traverse this tree then, right? Um, By saying, okay, I'm interested in, um, let's say, uh, all points that are within a specific bounding box by specifying the... uh, the lower left uh, corner let's say right Mm. and the upper right corner of your region right so a region can be described by two points and uh, um, then you can traverse the tree right by by finding the regions that are kind of containing those those points right this is the purpose of a region tree and uh, this is now very uh, so if if you follow my explanation, then you might visualize this as a two-dimensional, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, construct, right? But it's actually not two-dimensional. The idea is to have this multi-dimensional, right? So um, in the yeah. okay. you can easily imagine that a region is a is a cube, uh, let's say, right, or a hypercube or whatever, right? So meaning right.
1: So you it, go down it, the tree. You have your search region, and if the region of the node you're looking at is completely outside your search region. You can stop traversing that node A- and exactly. go back you up. Would, right. You is, you is that go, how it is? You would go if into the other branch of the tree. Which right. But if the it's region, completely is, uh, within okay. scope, right? got you. But if it's completely inside or overlaps, then you have to continue searching down that branch. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Exactly. My implementation is not yet dealing with overlaps. Uh, let's say. Right. But uh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Because I was lazy. But uh, this is indeed also <laughs> possible. To, to basically combine uh, um, let's say traverse uh, in parallel and then kind of combine the results right by by having bounding box uh, boxes there are that are overlapping multiple regions uh, but uh, what I'm doing is basically I'm just uh, taking the order um, let's say into account by by either traversing the right side or the left side um, of the tree and then finding finding my by uh, let's say uh, yeah my my points that that are in this specific region right or um, yeah let's see it just makes me. sense
1: I mean, if you want, we can do another episode going through. That yeah, code.
0: maybe we do but, another episode. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I, I think the the constructs which I used in, in the concept concept of Kotlin are not too different from what I I mean. Indeed, uh, the code looks completely different. But let's say, uh, the learning about Kotlin, there was no learn no learning curve any, any more too much, right? Let's say. Uh, so I, yeah. I used more or less the same. <laughs> Kind of primitives, or <clears throat> as I used before for the K uh, event lib uh, library, mm. right? so I mean, I,
1: yeah, I, I like it. I, I I see the code and I can read through it. I see point, array of, and then two numbers. I can immediately understand it, and I I know nothing of Kotlin before, so yeah, it's pretty intuitive.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, this was quite nice, right? You can basically say, hey, and a point, a point uh, is getting an array. So, array, because you can have multidimensional points, right? An array passed over, and um, instead of constructing this in a very, um, so an array of float, in order to, in, instead of constructing this in a, in a kind of complicated way, you can just say uh, array of, so there's a built-in function array of, right? Hmm. Um, and then pass you the number of uh, so your float values over in this case I'm doing this two two dimensional right and then um, yeah same with region region is defined by two points uh, let's say right and then uh, you have an R tree, and an R tree is basically um, defined by by the parent uh, region, and then uh, you can basically build up your regions uh, directly by by adding subregions to parent regions. And what I implemented for testing purposes was uh, a specific one which is building you a grid, right? So meaning um, Uh, it doesn't need to be the case. It doesn't need to be the case to be a grid. Uh, But when I did this, I said, okay, fine. Um, Let's, uh, as an example, build regions that are uh, building a grid, right? Whereby each grid cell has, again, subregions that are splitting up this grid cell into two grid cells, right? And then each other one, again, right? And it uh, splits it basically in one step or horizontally and the other vertically, which is uh, allowing yeah. you to generate something like two hash values by using the same algorithm. Uh, yeah.
1: Makes sense. No. Yeah.
0: So yeah, uh, yeah, but this just as an overview, right? We will not have time to to the call, code walkthrough. I was a little bit too optimistic, uh, let's say. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What, what do you think about uh, Kotlin? Any any learnings? I mean, it was maybe not too intense, right? But uh, any any learnings? Any ideas after we talked about this now for about yeah. an hour?
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are many things I like. I like the uh, the shorthand for the constructor, the shorthand for the sort of inheritance and calling the constructor up. The return if was quite interesting i i'm not sure if i like it i'd have to play around with it to get to an opinion so so the language itself is fine i could see myself using this here's the but i know it's it's based on the jvm i you know I'm, i i work with, with again right again, you can also so write I, I it, right? there so, and, and you can also front, yeah, maybe or... there is, is a node, vo- well, of course, there's a node version, because it translates to JS, which you can okay. run on node. So, okay, fair enough. Um, but is it better than TypeScript? So to, to be honest, I've, I've not seen, seen anything that is massively better to TypeScript, right? So, in, in order to switch your language, obviously, something has to be massively better, not just a little bit better. And it might be a little bit better in some regards, but not better enough yeah. to switch it for me. And I I would be interested to see if this can be used for front end development, right? If if you could do <laughs> React in Kotlin or something like that, so that'd be cool. But yeah, yeah. no, it's it not sure about very it. Right? Interesting.
0: Yeah. I guess it's a bit like or uh, use the right language for the right job and so on right That's Maybe it. i mean yeah. even even if there's this story of using it everywhere and so on right maybe maybe this is kind of uh yeah a bit an over promise uh, i would say right um they they also have examples about their web framework in the documentation uh let's see right and it's uh it's I mean, it's interesting, and I will use it because it looks very lightweight, uh, the web framework, so web front-end stuff, right? So, um, if we do yeah. like this...
1: It'll be interesting uh, to, to see if, if you do a sort of a web front-end little example.
0: Yeah, maybe, I I, in. maybe I should do this uh, at some point. If you want, yeah. Let me see, server side. Uh, so, this is actually server side stuff. Um, so, they have uh, kind of something which is similar to Flask or Express, mm-hmm. uh, right? Uh, how is this uh, yeah, called? that's
1: a good point. How would you do a REST API in that thing? Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, uh, how is this cool? How is this called? I think it has a specific name. Uh, this uh, stuff, right? This framework. K- ktor right ktor uh, i'm not sure if i'm saying this right but uh K- ktor k-t-o-r right is uh it seems the the server side stuff it seems to be based on netty uh, so they okay they, uh, they can basically uh, leverage whatever is available in the um java world Need um as long as they run on the jvm um, yeah, uh, it's basically also providing you the possibility to kind of template stuff, to do routes. What's oh, actually quite cool here, looking at it right now, is that it seems that something like body, h one, so the HTML primitives are table and so on, they are functions, right? So meaning you don't need to render this stuff Uh in a in a sense uh, manually but they they wrapped all the uh, the html primitives via via functions right right so you can i think that's pretty like... much
1: how react works as well so yeah. yeah that's pretty awesome so the the ktor this hello world thing looks very like very much like express so the approach seems very similar
0: yeah, yeah. Besides of the fact that Express, you would usually use a templating, an HTML template, and would basically then, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, depending kind of on what rend- you're doing, yeah, yeah, render the template by just replacing um, the the, let's uh, hmm. say, template, uh, text or yeah. uh, directives. With, uh, with the actual values and so on, whereby what they show here, I guess you can use this as well, right? Because such a framework without templating would be a bit useless. But what they do here, what they do here is they render it directly out of the, um, a little bit like with surflets, right? <laughs> with Java surflets, mm-hmm. uh, out of the source code, but um, uh, in a nicer way, because you don't need to do it entirely uh, manually, right? Uh, you can kind of, uh, use those wrapper functions uh, for generating your html code right right uh, fair, fair enough yeah uh, so back to kotlin uh, for a second so my learnings uh, i really like that it's less chatty than java right i, mm. I like the the default constructor stuff right uh, it's kind of very uh, slim and uh, uh, better than what you usually do in java where you basically do something like yeah um i i need to i mean the The normal construct is fine, but as soon as you have inheritance, it's not as nice, right? So that you need to call super as the first call and so on, right? So um, it feels a bit it's a bit like breaking your leg, right? Uh, if you need to do it anyway, every time. Right? <laughs> uh, indeed, you could call different uh, constructors of the parent and uh, you need to tell which one. But any, anyway, um, it's uh, it's kind of nicer solved in, in Kotlin. Um, I actually, I think I can get used to this uh, avoiding null values, right, uh, by... Uh, if we really needed uh, living with nullable types, but uh, kind of think initially about uh, which uh, default types, which default values make sense in order to avoid uh, running into null pointer exceptions and stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the type inference in is actually. Uh, It's quite nice, I I think it makes the code just a bit more readable, right? Um, So you don't Mm -hmm. repeat the same stuff all the time for no reason, let's say, right? Um, Then, meaning a shorter syntax at the end. uh, And what I really liked about it is that someone who knows Java and JavaScript or maybe Python uh, or maybe TypeScript or, right, should actually get quickly started with Kotlin, right? So, it, oh, yeah. as you said, it doesn't look totally strange. It's really readable. It's, uh, yeah, um, if you have some Java experience, then uh, you will find uh, some of the stuff which they, you can use uh, from the Java world, or uh, you might appreciate it, right? And regarding the syntax, uh, it's, I would say, as readable as something like Python right uh, and yeah usually would usually i'm using as, yeah. use python as uh, example code uh, let's say right because it's uh, like pseudo sort of cool a bit from my point of view um <laughs> yeah what else um yeah i've used it uh, more in an object oriented programming style maybe not strictly let's say but uh, more than anything else um right only the test uh scripts were actually scripts and uh uh, for this purpose this makes totally sense right uh, oh yeah which is also nicer than using something like uh yeah uh, again comparing it with java right so what is the point of having then uh, a, a class which has a main method uh, blah blah right uh, uh, which is really chatty for no reason. Let's say, right. So if you really just want to to execute uh, one single thing, uh, let's say by by having some additional function, then a script is better, right, than than doing this, then wrapping it always within a class, right. Uh, which yeah. is uh, what you usually would do in Java for no reason, maybe um so i really like this also the fact that something like those uh, assertion stuff and i mean this is also in other uh, languages and frameworks but then this is built in and i didn't need to to install something like a fully featured test framework for simple testing again in java i could have maybe have done the same right you can also do uh, simple testing by just using the main method but anyway, uh here it was kind of out of the box there and uh and usable and uh, I really appreciate this right for for something like simple uh testing stuff and then yeah um inheritance okay, uh, we talked about this right there you can have different opinions uh let's say right mm. um yeah. Anything else from your side Thomas or
1: No no I I just said that if, even if you hadn't explained me the details just by reading it I I totally would have understood what's going on right so it's it's almost yeah it's it's a very low learning curve at least for reading and understanding probably a little bit different for writing it but yeah very intuitive so I'm really impressed
0: Really, yeah, yeah. Uh, This was the intention. I mean, not to impress you, but the the intention of the original project (laughs) was basically uh, to to explain a concept in code. Let's say, right. And uh, then, if you do this, then uh, you you don't appreciate, uh, let's say, too complex languages that are too chatty, right? Makes sense. uh, to basically understand the constructs of the language themselves uh, um, before you can actually read them, right? Uh, so, meaning Kotlin fulfills this purpose for me. Um, Python would have done as well, but, uh, yeah, again, I wanted to learn something new. Um, what else? Um, yeah, if you want to learn more about Kotlin, they, under Kotlin lang, or so the Kotlin language, so Kotlin lang, but org, uh, there is a nice getting started documentation and uh, if you got started there's also a very um, detailed reference uh, documentation let's say and uh, yeah from my point of view i would say uh, more than an hour now right uh, thanks for listening and uh, see you soon
1: all right thank you bye